Bonnie Kemsky is a ceramicist, artist researcher, and writer from Cambridge, England. She's known for creating sculptural forms out of clay that are designed to be hugged. Bonnie spent years perfecting her forms, which she calls cast hugs, and most of them resemble pillows that are meant to be held and touched. She exhibits them in art shows, mostly around the UK, with the intention of encouraging all sorts of positive effects, including social interaction, awareness of our need for touch, and a sense of comfort that is often lacking in our touch-starved culture. I taught with Bunny about her process, and how her work has affected its viewers, and how we can be more mindful of touch in our own lives. I'm Josh Morgan. My conversation with Bonnie is coming up next on The Plural of You, the podcast about people helping people. <laughs> Bonnie's sculptures represent a surprising amount of different topics, like the therapeutic potential of art, or the effects of touch on our health and well-being, and the social norms we carry about touching and being touched. I first learned about Bonnie a few years ago, My wife saw her present a talk about her cast hugs at the Alabama Clay Conference. She came home and told me what she'd learned, and we both became fans of Bonnie's work. I've never encountered anything else like it, especially in the art world, so I'm really humbled that she agreed to talk with me about it. Here's Bonnie Kemsky, ceramicist and writer from Cambridge, England. (laughs) Tell me about your tactile art. What are your objectives with the work that you produce? Well, I think that the main objective and what I came down to realize what I was doing is that I aim for my art to help people find comfort in a frightening world. I think that today there is an overwhelming sense of sort of a low-level fear all the time. And if in interacting with my work, you can get rid of that fear or let it go for a moment, I think that's quite a positive thing. So the way that I create my works is actually through using my body, and that's so that people will be able to interact with the sculptural ceramics using their bodies. The the works are actually cast hugs. So I actually sit in the studio, and I have to have an assistant to help me do this. I have huge latex balloons, and I fill them until they're about 18 inches across or more with liquid plaster. And I hug them very tightly until that plaster sets. And those become the casts that I then take molds from and make the ceramic forms from. One of the reasons I do this is because every time you make something, every time you make a mark on a sculpture, on a piece that you're building, you're making an artistic judgment. And I wanted to have one removed from that. I wanted only the tactile to make the decision. So that's why they're cast without my knowing what they're going to look like visually. Then after I have several casts, I usually do up to 10 at a time. I then choose two or three that are visually enticing because, of course, they are visual as well as tactile. And those are the ones that I then cast. Through a lot of exploration and a lot of investigation, what I've found that they need is that they need to be relatively heavy because it slows people down. And that makes them slightly more contemplative and relaxed. Huh. They need to have a good texture on them. If they're smooth, they don't actually, people don't respond to them as well if they're smooth, which is surprising, but it's true. The fingers actually have a tremendous sense of tactile discrimination in them. So the works are actually textured so that there's a kind of an active interaction 
So as you run your hand over it, you actually feel all of the texture. But they're heavy because we have sensors across our bodies which sense pressure or weight. And then we have sensors that, that judge temperature. And that's important too. The works are low fired so that they're still a bit absorbent. So they actually absorb your body heat and they begin to warm up as you handle them. Wow. Yeah. Because, you know, our sense of touch is very, very complex. Some people say that it's actually not one sense. It's actually multiple senses. So I was trying to, in my work, I try to engage as many of those senses as possible. So weight and temperature and tactile discrimination, so texture and the form of the piece. All of those are almost separate tactile experiences or touch experiences. So where did you get the idea to make I guess your very first piece. Yeah. Where did the idea come from? <laughs> what, I mean, what yeah. gave you the idea to, to cast a hug of yourself? I know. I know. It's strange, isn't it? Yes. I, I was actually, <laughs> um, I actually had been in the studio for 10 years making textured ceramics. They were based on the figure, but they were very abstracted. I called them soft forms and they were very textured. And as I was making more and more, I began to get incredibly fascinated by the texture of the surfaces. So for instance, one time I was doing an open studio event, which I used to do every year, and someone came who was blind. She was completely blind and her teenage son brought her. And as soon as she walked in the door, I had an entirely different sense of what my work would feel like. And I thought to myself, I need to apply that sense that she had, that she was telling me as she was touching my parts. I need to, to apply that to what I was doing. But then I had an exhibition. I had some work in a, in a small exhibition in, in London. And I was actually gallery sitting for lunch for, for the gallery owner. And I was sitting at the desk and I looked down and there was a middle-aged man in the gallery and he had been wandering around. He kept coming back to one or two of my pieces in there. It was a group show, so there were a lot of different pieces. And as I looked down, I saw out of the corner of my eye, he put his hand on the top of one of these soft forms, textured soft forms, and he ran his, the palm of his hand down over the side of it. And I thought, that's what I want. I want people to not be able to resist touching this work, even though there are signs that say do not touch, you know, or that we know, we know we're not supposed to touch artwork. I was just wondering about that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the truth is that there, there is a taboo against touching artwork, but it's not a very strong taboo in that people are desperate to touch artwork. And it's not just the touching for verification, which also happens, you know, if you touch with your fingers just to make sure it feels like what it looks like, you know. But there mm-hmm. people want to experience the touch of art, and they're not they haven't been allowed to very much so any rate i i so I decided that I would do a research degree into texture, so I went to the Royal College of Art in London and I said, "Could I do this research degree?" and they agreed and I started and within oh three months into the research, I realized that the whole phd was not going to be about texture. It was going to be about touch because my interest wasn't actually in texture. It was in touch. So it wasn't about the thing. It was about the experience of the thing, which is what the French philosopher Merleau-Ponty used to talk about. So it's about the incorporation of the thing into your space or your self-awareness. And that's what touch does. It actually physically links you to something. So that's how I came to be doing it. 
the first thing I did was I studied what touch is, you know, physiologically. So I went and I actually found out what the cells are that are involved with our senses of touch. And I was making tiny little sculptural textured objects to run across different parts of the body. And there's a great experiment you can do down your bare arm. If you run a textured object down the inside of your arm slowly and then all the way down across the palm and off your fingers, it actually feels like different objects because your sense of tactile discrimination changes so much from being very poor on your shoulder and increasing down the arm and then to your fingertips, it feels amazing. So I was making these objects to run around the body and I knew I didn't want to make that as artworks. So I started thinking about pots and objects and sculptures. And somehow I, re- I remembered an interview I had had with Nigel Barley, who was an anthropologist at the British Museum. He did a lot of field work in Africa. And he mentioned in this interview, I was interviewing him about something entirely different, but he mentioned that in one tribe that he had spent a lot of time with, the women made their own pots for carrying water, and they made the pots to fit their bodies. Now, of course, they made them to make it easier Mm -hmm. to carry them, but to use a cliche, it was a light bulb moment. I thought, well, that's it. That's how I engage the body's sense of touch, is I make the works fit the body. Then I decided I needed to find a way to really make it part of me, and it, it just became the hug. And I then decided, in an effort to turn off my visual skills, that I would cast them. So that's how they're made, and that's how I came about. So I'm not clear on what your concentration was in your PhD program. What did you study? A PhD program in Britain is different from in the States. Okay. It is solely about a single research topic. So my research topic when I went in was about texture and ceramics. It's a by-practice PhD, so 50% of it is studio work and 50% of it is theoretical work. And in fact, what I did was I used what I call a concatenated methodology. So I asked a question in the studio and answered it, which would give rise to a question which I would then answer theoretically, which would give rise to a question I would then go back into the studio. So I had this back and forth. And that's, for me, what working as an artist researcher means, is I go back and forth between the theory and the practice. Yes, so my PhD is in ceramics. And it's in touch and sculptural ceramics. So my actual PhD is called Evoking Intimacy, Touch and the Thoughtful Body in Sculptural Ceramics. <laughs> it's so cool that you found an, a niche like this. Like it's, it's just fascinating. Yeah, there certainly isn't anybody that I know of who's been doing this kind of thing. There's lots of touch work going on. And there's actually tactile art going as well. I belong to to a couple of tactile art organizations. But a lot of times it's almost a byproduct or... I could see maybe like their product designers and sort of like research on touch would be secondary to the product they're designing. I could see that. That's right. Or they're using the research to, to promote something. And in art, what you find is there's a lot of art that, that's made to be touched, going all the way back to, for instance, Franz West in the 60s and 70s. But it's not pleasant touching it. So the materials aren't very nice or the experience isn't very nice. And, and I have to say, when I was doing my research, people kept saying to me, why don't you make it spiky? 
And I'd say because I'm looking for comfort and a positive experience, not a scary and painful mm-hmm. experience. You know? Right, right. The only sense of touch I was trying to turn off was the nociceptor, the, the, the receptor for pain. That was the one I didn't want you know, to be engaged. <laughs> so, yeah, there is more and more work being done in it. And touch within society in general, Western society in general, we understand much more how important it is, or at least most people do. And I think one of the ways you can tell that we do understand this is because if you look carefully, you'll see that advertising is using it more and more all the time. So you'll see. Oh, I'll have to look for that. Yeah, you'll look. You'll see mobile ad commercials where they're hugging each other or where they have a phone that you can hug. And if advertisers are doing it, that means it's part of the zeitgeist, you know. For sure, yeah. right. So it's out there. People want it. They really do want to engage touch and to use touch more fully to make their lives better. It does seem like our culture is sort of touch starved. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I have to admit that I'm an American living in Britain. I've lived here now for a long time, 35 years, married to a Brit. Where did you grow up, by the way? I grew up in Delaware. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And there's less touch here than there was in the States when I was growing oh. up. So I, I did actually have to acknowledge in part of my PhD that part of it was because I was a bit touch-starved on the cultural level, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, although I've watched the British change, and that's partly because of American TV and things, you know, we now hug each other in much more often than we ever did before as much as Americans do, but not as much as the French do, you know. <laughs> so, oh, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I was in Japan during that period, looking at investigating touch in Japan, what I found was they didn't touch each other as much, especially across sexes, but they touched objects more. So they would go into a gallery and they would touch the ceramic works there without batting an eye. You know, they mm-hmm. touched every bit of cloth all the time. Everything was being touched. So even on the level of objecthood, there are cultural differences. Do you have any insight into the benefits of touch? Like, what are we missing out on? Absolutely. I mean, it's amazing that anybody could think that it wasn't important. Studies have shown from the very early 60s with, um, what was his name, Harry? Um, Anyway, it was very cruel, and we would never do it now, but he had monkeys, and he... Oh, I, I'm he, barely yes, familiar. Yes, yes. He, he gave fake mother monkeys to these baby monkeys, and some of them were in terry cloth, and they were cuddly, and some of them just had milk. They would go to the milk for sustenance, but then they would immediately stay with the cuddly one. They weren't interested, you know, it was even more important than feeding. They would spend much more time with the cuddly mother. And then he withdrew even that. And these monkeys had all kinds of serious illnesses and issues. And that's been shown in humans, too. Babies who are deprived of touch develop all kinds of physical and emotional issues. There was a recent, fairly recent study, I think it was about two years ago, that showed that people, in, in particular, even more so for women, who are hugged and who reciprocal hug, that they have lower heart disease levels 
and lower blood pressure levels just from the hugs. You can lower your blood pressure through hugs. That's part of the huh. reason I didn't. I decided because some people sort of think the the caress or the hug is sort of too cute to put into art, but in fact, it's a fundamental human experience that is so powerful that I decided, regardless of its quote tweeness, I had to use it. I had to actually go into it and develop it. But I mean, there are studies that show, for instance, with waitresses. If they touch their customers, even just barely, they'll get more tips. They'll get higher amounts. Oh. Yeah, I mean, and that's because it makes people feel better. Yeah. It just generally, and, and of course, there's oxytocin levels. You know, it does actually release chemicals that make us feel better as well. There are all kinds of physiological and emotional benefits to touch and all kinds of damage that can be done if we don't have touch. So how does your work help to overcome these, I don't want to say fears, but I guess this apprehension we sort of learned about touch? Yeah, it it is a sadness that touch has become equated often with sexuality and bad sexuality and badness. In creating sculptures, there isn't that sense of that. So if someone were to come to you and give you a hug that you didn't know, you might well recoil from it, but you're not going to recoil from an inanimate object. So I knew that I was already on a, on a winning case there in that people who were receptive to touch would be happy to touch the sculptural forms, whereas they might not be so happy to, to have a hug. And it's true. I'll tell you a story. I had some work at a scientific conference in Amsterdam a few years ago, which looks, it's a haptic conference, so it looks at mostly technology and virtual touch, but they had an art thread and they asked me to come and present my work, and I did. And I had a professor who came from the Far East, and he came and he he looked at my work two days running. This conference went on for about four days. And I finally saw him after the conference hours one night. And I said, why don't you come and actually sit and hold one of the cast hugs? And he said, okay, he would. And he came and he held this thing and he held it for about 10 minutes. And then he got up and he put it down and he walked away and he didn't say anything at all. And I was actually quite upset because I thought he had been receptive to it. And I saw him later that night and, and I said, did you really dislike it? And he said, no, no, it wasn't that. It's that as I held it, I realized that I have no hugs in my life. I never hugged my wife. I never hugged my children, he said. And it just made me feel sad and also positive at the same time. And when I go home, I'm going to hug my family. And I was so deeply moved. And I thought, if I had hugged him myself he would not have had the same reaction as he did actually hugging this art. It's odd, isn't it? But it yeah. somehow gave him the distance and allowed him to do it that he wouldn't be able to do. You know, if I had hugged him, it would have been a very different thing. I mean, I do hug lots of people, it's true. But <laughs> <laughs> but it's those kinds of considerations, like in your work, that's, that's why I've just been such a big fan of yours, like in just seeing the pieces that you come up with and then the research to back it up. 
there's just all these like design considerations. Like you mentioned earlier, you know, the, the weight of the pieces is important. It is. It's, it's just so interesting to me. Yeah. Well, what I found is that if the pieces are too light, because lots of people say, oh, they're so heavy. But if they're too light, then people are too quick with them and they don't actually, they hold them out and they look at them rather than allowing the weight of them to settle on their bodies. Especially men, I have to say. Men tend to hold the object in front of them and turn it in different directions to look at it in different ways rather than allowing it to find a place to sit on their body comfortably. So if it's heavy, you engage with it more and more slowly. And also, if it's, if it's against your body, you stop looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> so your, your tactile senses have to kick in. Vision will always dominate an experience if you allow it to. So what I was find, trying to find is a way to allow the tactile or the sense of touch to be privileged in these settings. And I hadn't thought that there might be other social considerations to how different viewers would want to hold or approach the pieces. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the actual setting takes quite a lot of consideration as well. And I did a lot of testing on the setting because one of the things that you have to do is you have to allow people to interact with the work without feeling self-conscious. So often when I show the work, I'll show it with benches or seats or something facing away from the gallery so that people don't feel they're being looked at. Or I have the lights dimmed. That's another good way of doing it. Or anything that makes people feel comfortable and relaxed and, as I say, unselfconscious. That's very important. It was just trial and error. I'd put things out and then I'd, I would see how people were reacting with them. And I collected comments constantly. I have hundreds and hundreds of comments. What I did was I tended to use the, the basics of grounded theory. So I would categorize the comments and see what the themes were that were coming out. And that was one of them, was that they lost them, the sense of themselves in the work, which was the letting go of the self-consciousness. So, you know, they would say, I felt like it became part of me, or I, I felt myself going into the work, or the work and I became one, or, you know, things like this, which showed me that they were free from be the fear of being gazed at. Mm-hmm. One of the other things that I think is very important in what I've been doing in this work is that with visual art, most people have a sense that there's a whole history of the aesthetic of visual art. So most people feel self-conscious about their comments about it. So unless they're in the field of art, they're hesitant to make comments or they say, oh, well, I know what I like, which means please forgive me for what I'm about to say, but I like that piece. You know, So people are mm-hmm. constantly self-judging themselves and judging their judgment, as it were. But we don't have any of that with touch. With every single time an individual handles a tactile object, it's a different experience, and it's only their experience, and there can be nothing right or nothing wrong about it. So there's none of that sort of aesthetic baggage that you have with visual arts sometimes. It is very freeing in many ways, I think. Overall, what do you like about doing the work that you do? Like, why did you choose to be an artist researcher instead of, you know, say, another field? How does it convey the benefits of, of touch, for example, in ways that other fields might not be able to? Art is my field. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. And touch is my interest. And so they've come together. But I think that. 
lots of people in lots of different walks of life, if they're interested in touch and the benefits of touch to our existence and to our being, they can bring that into how they are as well, their sense of what they do as well. I mean, art is fantastic. There is no doubt about it. And you sometimes can get that, quote, aesthetic experience, which is very, very moving and takes you out of yourself. And touch experiences can do the same thing. But uh, what I don't want people to think is that because I'm producing an object that has tactile qualities, that I somehow think that I've got a corner on touch in our world. You know what I mean? I think that almost any field, that touch is so integral and so important that we should all be looking at ways of incorporating touch. It's important. It's, I mean, I feel very lucky that I'm in a field where I can express the importance of touch in my work. But I also use touch in the rest of my life as well. I mean, I consciously touch people if I think they need it. You know, if I stop somebody, if there's a homeless person and I think they might have be in trouble, it's important that you touch them if you can, you know, just a bare touch on the arm, any kind of touch. You know, you go to a to a cafe and the waitress seems miserable. When you leave, you make sure you just touch her arm briefly and say, you know, hope your day is good or hope your day is Incorporating touch in your life can have so many benefits and just is such a positive thing to do. I see what you mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you mostly exhibit your work in, in the UK. So, mm-hmm. you know, if, if we don't have access to your, your tactile pieces, like what are some tips, I guess, just in our daily lives that we can use to maybe be more mindful of touch and those benefits? Yeah, I, I think that all of the objects that we surround ourselves with have tactile qualities. And I think we need to make sure that we consider those tactile qualities when we add more objects to our lives. If you're buying mugs, for instance, feel them, pick them up, hold them in your hand. What do they feel like? And, you know, if you're with somebody, don't hesitate to say, see what this feels like. Have you felt this? You know, you're sitting, I I don't know, sitting somewhere in somebody's home and there's a soft pillow next to you and you're sitting next to a person that you've just met. You've already got something you can talk about. You're experiencing the soft pillow. Even a comment about that. Just, I think that raising our own awareness of all of the tactile qualities around us and raising other people's awareness of it through our mindfulness of it, as you say. Mm-hmm. I think that we just need to be more aware that our world is entirely tactile as well as being visual. We see it, but let's touch it as well. If we recognize that there's a need for touch and not just touch between people, touch between us and objects, we have to touch those things. Make them good touches. Make choices that engage our sense of touch in a positive way. Uh, I, I'm, I was just listening to what you're saying, and, and what, I, what I'm thinking is maybe the first step is being aware of the need for touch, and then maybe the second step would be to, to just start having more discussions. Like, just establishing a discourse, you know, maybe that'll help overcome this fear that touch is a bad thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and, and everybody touches. You know? so, oh, sure. So right. if we talk about it, it's not actually as shocking as people think it might be. You know, it's uh, mm-hmm. and, and I don't think that you will be seen as strange if you 
draw attention to things that are particularly tactilely pleasing or touch pleasing. I think that it's people will be responsive. So what would be the best way for us to follow you and your work online? Well, as I say, I, I will be updating my, my website. And I also tweet when I'm in, a, in the middle of a project, and that's Bonnie Kemsky. So your website and then Twitter? Yeah, I think that's probably the best bet. And that's BonnieKemsky.com? That's right. All right. Is there anything I haven't asked that you'd like to talk about? Yeah, well, I thought the, the other thing, thinking back of what we've talked about, there are a few other aspects of touch and, and making tactile art that, uh, that I haven't mentioned. One is that okay. I think it creates community and relationship. How so? What I've observed is that complete strangers, now, and granted, this is in Britain where people don't talk to each other <laughs> in general, right. you know, until they've mm-hmm. been introduced and things. You know, it's unlike Americans when we stand in the grocery store line, we'll chat about anything, won't we? In Britain, if you chat about things in the supermarket line queue, they sort of think there must be something wrong with you. But in an art setting, when you're sitting down and two people who've never met each other before sit down and there's this tactile object between them, they start talking about it. And what they do is they start telling stories about it. Well, you know, that reminds me of a big fat cat I used to have when I was a little girl. Or (laughs) there was one, I had one woman, this was very moving. She was from Iraq. And she said that when she was a very little girl, she was an older woman. There was a huge rock outside the village that would get very warm in the sun. And when the women were in in labor, they would go and lie against this rock. And it was said that the rock would take their pain away. And this experience had brought that up. And another man who had been traveling for three years, and he was on his way home, he stopped in London, and he was on his way home back to the Far East. And he held one of these pieces, and he, he he actually started crying. And he said, it makes me realize how much I miss my family. And so I think that a tactile object actually can bring people together in such a positive way. In addition to that, I often saw families using it. You would see a parent would give a child one of the sculptures to hold or to hold against them if they were too heavy. And then the parent would hug the child. So, And I saw this with three-year-old children. And with 30-year-old children, <laughs> so the child would hold yeah. the, the sculpture and the parent would have their arm around the child. And I, I, I found that very, very striking and very moving. So, yeah, I just think that if we incorporate touch more in art, then it will help us to incorporate touch more in our society in general. Makes sense. So I guess to summarize everything, if if your work had a message, what would you like for that message to say? Ooh. Let the things that you surround yourself with give you comfort. Wow. <laughs> That's very well put. Well, I hope it's okay off the top of my head like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that, that sounds great. Well, you've been very generous with your time, and, and you sound like a very lovely person, and I, I really appreciate it. <laughs> That's very sweet of you. I really Thank enjoyed you. speaking with you, Josh. Yeah, this has been great. Yeah. Well, hope you enjoy your day. Okay, you too. Take care. This is The Plural of You. I'm Josh Morgan, and the show's website is pluralofyou.org. 
That's all I have for now. Thank you for being kind today. Take care.